way out. Hey, Barry. Where does a ranger keep their arrows? Where? Well, I mean, hopefully in the monsters, right? <laughs> it's time for Compelled Duel! and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd, D&D 5th edition actual play podcast. Last time on Compelled Duel, Lero Valsine had a no good, very bad, awful, horrible, bad day. It was not great. Uh, he trusted some people very much. <laughs> That's not going to happen again. Ever. And <laughs> he showed trust that he got kidnapped for it. Yep. In the time before that, speaking of trust being irrevocably shattered, Ferrora Valsine found out a lot about this secret organization, the Beacon, that she unwillingly got inducted to. Soren Shakrana fucking died. And Fee embarked on a trip to the Silent City, which is an abandoned archaeological site in the north of Australia, where she met a new acquaintance by the name of Erve Enmar. And that is where we left you last, and I think we are going to pick up right there exactly where we left off. Sophie, you just got cut down out of the snare spell and are still kind of in a heap on the floor, and you and this lady you've never met before are standing there flashing beacon coins at each other. Again, Erve is a wiry Australian elf. She has dark skin with blue undertones, long silver white hair done up in multiple braids that's in a high ponytail, and these big clunky goggles over her dark eyes with zoomable lenses that let her look in closer at things. She is standing next to her very, very large baby deer. <laughs> this deer is about the size of a quarter horse, and she's patting it on the side of the neck as she flashes her beacon coin at you. As soon as you guys have finished your introductions, she perches her coin back on her thumb, flips it up in the air, snatches it, and puts it back in the pocket of her beat-up leather overcoat. And she pats the baby deer on the head again and goes, And this is Phineas. Lovely to meet you, Phineas. The deer licks your face. And yeah, as she introduces you to this big baby deer, she leans back against him and kind of eyes you up and down. And she goes... Alright, I knew this was coming, but I'm not exactly up-to-date on the circumstances. Uh, who sent you? I sent myself. Mm-hmm. You'll have to forgive my suspicions and misgivings, Grand Duchess, but typically people that send themselves up here are here to kill me. I assure you that is not the case. I am just looking for some answers. She nods slowly, and then takes a step back and brings up her arm and motions you out of this temple. She is definitely waiting for you to go ahead, so her back is not to you. I'm not going to turn my back to her either. I'm going to go out the door sideways and just keep an eye on her. Both of you, very distrustfully of each other, make your way out of this temple. As you go, though, Fee... You're making an effort not to touch anything. I think you clarified that yes. in your last episode. But um, I think the side of your leg just brushes up against this statue that you were standing near. You don't take any damage from it, but it feels like a very powerful static shock. Like when you've been shuffling around on a carpeted floor and touch yeah. a doorknob or something, and you just feel that static shock through your whole body. You feel something like that. It doesn't do any damage to you. It hurts a little bit, but you definitely feel that. Hmm. Troubling. And then, yeah, you make your way out of this temple and out into this empty square. Erebe standing there with Phineas the baby deer, just kind of, again, sizing you up. She is keeping very careful distance from you, and she says, All right, well, for somebody that sent themselves, you had a pretty accurate gauge on where to look, so I'm assuming you already know everything that's going on here. And she smiles. I had a little information given to me, but I am here for my own purposes, not anyone else's. It would make me feel much more secure to know who compromised my safety. Soren Shakrana. 
Arave seems like a very composed young lady, but you say that, and she curses under her breath. She turns around and kicks at a rock on the ground, and then turns back to you, and she has that same plastic smile in place, and goes, How is Soren? Dead. Her smile falls off her face in a second. She blinks and takes off her goggles and lifts them up onto her forehead. Absolutely shell-shocked. He was arrested a few days ago at a gala for treason and sedition. She nods quietly to herself and then reaches up and swipes a finger under both eyes and then lowers her goggles back down. That is the extent of the emotion you see cross this woman's face, and she says, My apologies, you'll have to forgive me for the sentiment. Soren was an old friend. I can't say the same, but I'm very sorry. You don't need to be. I told him at the beginning of all this that he was making decisions like a fool, and it would seem that he died like one. And she sets off at a brisk pace across the square. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and follow her. She's walking you across the square, and her entire posture changes with this new revelation. Number one, that Soren sent you, and number two, that he's dead. She starts leading you down a street that you hadn't walked down before, and she says, All right, well, in that case, uh, a little background information on me. You could say that I am a beacon baby, if that makes any sense. Uh, Both of my parents were members before I was born. They were also both prolific professors of the Order of Iluna. My father was an archaeologist by trade, but he did teach rune lore classes, and my mother was a conjuration wizard, quite the teleportation expert. You could say I've been involved with both the Beacon and the Silent Cities my entire life. It was both of my parents' life's work. Unfortunately, the Beacon Schism 25 years ago cut both of their lives short. They were on opposite sides of the conflict. And then they both died, and they both left me their research, so for the last eh, 23, 24 years, I've had both sides of the schism after me. Each side wants my parents' research and me dead, so I've been hanging out in the Silent Cities for all that time. Sounds difficult. On the contrary, it's fascinating, she says, and starts walking down the street again. She leads you through a winding maze of alleys and streets that are still intact. There's plant life growing up through the cobblestones, but most of it is eerily well-preserved, especially when you hear her say, Anyway, from what we've been able to do as far as dating goes, we can assume that the city is at least 15,000, maybe 20,000 years old. But that's not necessarily what my parents were here studying. And she leads you into another town square. This one smaller than the one you were in that had the temple. It has a big, very open-looking building that's um, held up by pillars. And it has a couple smaller buildings around the perimeter of this square. And in the middle of it, there is a huge circle etched into the stone. The entire middle of this square is one giant piece of stone. It's massive. And into it is carved a circle surrounded by runes that you have never seen before. It is a language that you cannot process. And she nods down at the circle and goes, That's what we were working on. And this is... what? A portal, she says. I suppose the closest analog you would have is a teleportation circle. Fee takes a step back. She looks over at you and she raises an eyebrow and goes, Ah, you get the nausea, don't you? That's one way to put it. Well, you'll be pleased to know that this is nothing like a modern teleportation circle. Actually, when we think of teleportation in our own paradigm, we're talking about a spell that's very limited. We're talking about a maximum of eight people, less if they're carrying things with them, that can go through at a time. We're talking about teleportation circles that take a year of daily magic minimum to make. We're talking about margin for error that's frankly disturbing. These portals don't involve any of that. (laughs) As far as we've been able to reconstruct, a lot of it's been arcane reverse engineering, which I... And she flinches a little bit. I was never 
gifted with magic in the way that my parents were, but I was very gifted with deductive reasoning, which, with Soren's help, allowed me to figure out that these portals are much more powerful. There's no margin for error. There's no limit for travel capacity. You could theoretically, and I believe that at one point when this city was alive, that it did have this circle open 24 hours a day, and people could just walk through. How is any of this possible? Old magic that we don't understand yet. That's what Soren and several of his associates and I were working on. But, and she leads you over to this big building that has the pillars, there's a wall in the front of the building that has a beautiful carved stone mural etched into it. It looks pretty comparable to a lot of the world maps that you have seen before. A big portion of it has crumbled away, like, from the middle of what is now the Sovereign Principalities of Tordun, over to the right, has completely crumbled away, and is gone. But there is a map of Australia, there is a map of about half of the Zephyr Isles, and there is a map of the western half of this big continent, off to your east. And on this map, you can see insignias carved into the stone that look like the circle that's etched into the square. You see one near where modern-day Omagroth is. You see one near where modern-day Velental is. You see one to the south of the Asturian continent. You see one where modern-day Vogvaldor is, like one of the minor cities in Vogvaldor. You see one in the Zephyr Isles. And then the kind of upper left corner of the map has also crumbled away, so a lot of the north of Australia is gone. But you do see those five insignias carved in. Okay. And Arabe walks over and she touches each one of them on the mural in succession, and she goes, Belental, Omagroth, about two days outside of Ilneus, all three of the known Silent City sites. Over here, near Gimtarum, in Vogvaldor, and then she drags her hand down and just outside of Pearlport in the Zephyr Isles. If each one of these insignia is a circle, you could reason that at one point in the ancient world, and she reaches down under her shirt and pulls out a gold chain, and at the end of this gold chain, there is an emerald the size of a chicken's egg. She pulls the necklace off her head and goes down into the big slab floor of this square and slots the pendant into a small divot in the ground, there's a magical vacuum that just sucks all the energy out of the air, and the middle of the circle turns into a swirling vortex of blue energy. We've, like, half-established that Fee has kind of a sense when it comes to magical energy, mm -hmm. just from being a sorcerer, so yeah. I'd love to do an arcana check and see if I can figure out what's going on. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Six. <laughs> It's extremely powerful. You can pick up on that just from the ambient magical energy. Yeah. You don't really get a sense of school of magic or anything. It feels like nothing you've ever had arcane experience with before. It doesn't feel like your magic. It doesn't feel like clerical magic. It doesn't feel like wizardry. It feels old and primal and totally outside of your realm of experience. Okay. Interesting. Arabe nods down at where this portal is swirling on the ground in front of her and goes, So this is much more stable, but the teleportation limitations in exchange are much more limited. You can only travel between similar circles. But if we're able to extrapolate information from what's left of the map, and she nods back towards the old building, one could reason that at some point there was free unencumbered, risk-free travel all over the world. Soren and I were able to get the Australian portals back online using my father's amulet. We haven't had any experience of being able to get beyond the shores of Australia. We're not quite sure why. Perhaps those circles have been compromised. But all of the Silent Cities are connected through these portals, which is why I have been able to avoid brutal murder for so long. That's lovely for you. He's gonna, like, kind of crouch down and touch the stone. Not the portal. 
the okay. edge of the stone and see if it's that same like shock feeling as the statue. No. Okay. You can feel the arcane energy rolling off of this thing, and the runes that are carved into the stone around this circle that is now this swirling, bright blue void of power are glowing, but it's not the same kind of energy as you felt back in the temple. Not really. Okay. And by the way, still not touching anything with bare hands, just silk cloak wrapped over the hands. Okay. As you're over crouched at the edge of this circle, Phineas clops over and just leans over your shoulder. And snorts right in your ear. Ah, quiet, Phineas. From the doorway of this big academic-looking building, Arabe yells, Phineas, don't be rude! And the deer stands <laughs> up and clops back over to her, looking very chastised. At any rate, Soren seemed very interested in this technology. We were able to stabilize the Asturian portals fairly well, theoretically, if we were able to extrapolate this power throughout the rest of the world and get all the circles up and running again. You could march an army through one of these things. She sucks her teeth and nods, and then stands up and kind of brushes off her skirts and goes, In that case, his newfound interest in portals makes perfect sense to me, Miss Enmar. Well, I can't speak to political drama. I've been living in the woods for the past 23 years. She shrugs, and she leaves the big portico of this building and comes down and stands next to you. She looks down at the portal and leans down and picks up the necklace out of the slot, and the whole thing dies. It just goes back to Flatstone. She puts the necklace back on, and she says, Well, at any rate, it seems that Soren's academic curiosity won't be of any concern to anyone anymore. Shame, he was a brilliant researcher, but I have been working on my own for quite some time now. I'm sure I'll readjust. She goes to say something else, like raises a finger, kind of pedantically, and stops. And her head snaps to the side. Her finger very slowly comes down to her side, to where on her belt she has two swords sheathed. Alright. She grabs one of them and pulls it like two inches out of its scabbard, and you hear a loud metallic hum. You look down and you see that the sword that she's holding is actually humming and shaking and vibrating in its scabbard. And you see Arabe's professionalism crumble for, like, the first time since you've started talking to her, and she goes, Motherfucker. She pulls the sword the rest of the way out of its scabbard. She goes, Appears the librarian thought we were being a little too loud. Brace yourself. What's happening? We've got company. see something stirring in the darkness where the door of this building once was. And you hear the rough scrape of stone on stone. And you hear a scream, an ancient echoing scream. From the mouth of this building, the first thing you see are three of these stone horned skeletons, but they're clad in crumbling, rotting armor, holding rusted out swords. And behind them, it's a ghost. An apparition, ethereal, incorporeal, floats out of this ancient library behind these skeletons. She is in long, very odd-looking robes. They're not anything like fashion that you've seen before. She looks basically like an infernal elf, like almost like her horns are a little bit longer and more jagged, and her teeth are definitely way bigger. She looks not like any elf you've ever seen. She looks at the two of you and another shriek comes out of her mouth. Roll initiative, please. Oh, God. I would love to, before we roll initiative, cast a spell. Yeah, Arave has a short sword of warning, so yeah, they're not going to get a surprise round on you, so you can go ahead and pop one off. Okay. I would like to cast one of my new spells. I would like to cast Warding Winds. Okay. So yeah, Fia, as you see all of these monstrous things come out of this library towards the two of you, you pull your wand out, and there's that spark, like that static shock of energy that you felt back in the temple with the statue. And you feel capable of way more mojo than you did before. 
Fantastic. And I think you just reflectively reach your hand out, and this <sighs> warding wind spell explodes out. Please remind me what that does. V is going to wand out, bring her hands up, and then just bring them both down in a, like, crashing motion and, like, half crouch. A strong wind, 20 miles per hour, blows around you in a 10-foot radius and moves with you, remaining centered on you. The wind lasts for the spell's duration. It deafens you and other creatures in its area. It extinguishes unprotected flames in its area that are torch size or smaller. It hedges out vapor, gas, and fog that can be dispersed by strong wind. The area is difficult terrain for creatures other than you. Ranged weapon attacks have disadvantage if the attacks pass in or out of the wind. Okay. So yeah, you feel this spark at the root of the palm of your hand again, and this zephyr just pops up around you and roars in your ears. You see Arave kind of flinch uncomfortably next to you as she is also deafened by the effects of this. Phineas fucking books it. (laughs) He gallops out of the square. If you're watching Arabe, you can see her mouth fucking coward as he runs away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Okay, what did you get for initiative? Uh, 19. 19, okay, so you're going to be going third. So we're going to actually be utilizing our Homebrew rule for the campaign for nat 20s on initiative, because Arabe rolled a nat 20 to initiative. Woof! So she's going to get an extra round in on this thing, uh, which is good because she has just so many bonus actions that she needs to take to be effective in combat. Uh, For the folks at home, Arave is a multi-classed Horizon Walker Ranger and Inquisitive Rogue. So what she's going to do for her first round is she's going to use her first bonus action. She's going to use her Inquisitive Rogue uh, features to do insightful fighting, so she's going to roll insight against the Spectre's Deception to be able to use her sneak attack on it even when no one's flanking. And that's a natural 15 versus a natural 8. The Spectre's not very charismatic and can't lie very well, so she's going to do that. So she gets to use her sneak attack, so she's going to take her first swing on that round, so she can't do her offhand attack because she used her bonus action for insightful fighting. Yeah. Uh, So she's going to roll to hit on the Spectre. So that's a 14. The armor class for the Ghost is 12. Yeah! And that's with a magical weapon, so it's going to take full damage, which is going to be 1d6 plus 5 plus 2d6 for sneak attack. That's a total of 13 damage to the ghost, but then she gets another round. And she's going to get, in this second round, because of her nat 20, she's actually going to get to make her offhand attack because her insightful fighting's already active. She rolled a natural 20 on that first magical weapon attack, buddy. Ooh! Arave didn't come to play today. Okay, so she's going to hit this thing with the magical weapon again. It's going to be with the sneak attack damage, so I'm going to get to double it. Yeah. So she's going to get uh, double damage dice on the weapon attack plus sneak attack, so that's going to be 4d6 plus 5. Okay. 20 damage on her first attack. Okay, her second attack is also going to hit, and she's going to just get 1d6 plus 5 on that because of her dual wielding. Okay. It's a total... <laughs> It's a total of six damage. She rolled a one. (laughs) She did a total of 29 damage, which is not inconsiderable, but she also got a bonus round. Okay, so now it's the Spectre's turn, and given that it just got its shit wrecked, it's going to go for Arave. It is going to hit her. So she has to roll a constitution saving throw. She does make the constitution saving throw, but she is going to take 18 damage. Hervé takes this damage as this ghost reaches through her chest and, like, grabs at something inside of her body and pulls her down to her knees. And now it is Fee's turn, so you have... This ghost that is engaged with Arave, and then you have three skeletons that look like they're headed for you. Yeah, I'm going to do something a little bit dumb for flavor reasons. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all of Fee's magic's kind of reflexive, so she's just going to, like, on reflex, hold her wand hand up, bring it down, and yell, get back, 
in the direction of the specter and the skeletons. Like, she's trying to cast a command spell. And instead, as her hand comes down, a lightning bolt erupts from the tip of her wand. And I'm going to try and get as many as possible of the combatants in front of us. It is 100 feet long and 5 feet wide. Okay, I'm going to give you a choice. You can either hit two of the skeletons or the specter and Arabe. Two of the skeletons. Okay. Is that a save for me? Yes, it is a deck save. A nine and a 19. So one of them takes half damage. 29 lightning damage. 14 for the one that saved. Okay. So you vaporize one of these skeletons with a spell that you don't intend to cast. This bolt of white, hot, electric, crackling lightning shoots out of your wand and just totally vaporizes the first skeleton, and the one directly behind it looks fucked up. And you feel, as you cast this spell, that same spark of magic at the very heel of your hand. That same static shock feeling that you felt when you brushed up against that statue. Fantastic. However, the second one is going to run up on you and try to hit you. Wait, does it have the movement to get through 10 feet of difficult terrain? No. Ha ha ha! No, it doesn't. Okay. Yeah, this skeleton can't get through that to hit you, so it's just going to run up on you and use its whole turn to do that. It's going to dash. And the third one is going to do that as well. Nice. We are back at the top of the order with Arabe, who's going to make two attacks on this ghost, <sighs> neither of which hit. Come on, Arabe. <laughs> it is the ghost's turn. The ghost is not affected by difficult terrain. Okay. So it zooms up on you, and it's going to take a hit at you. Okay. All right. Um, it is going to take one of Arabe's opportunity attacks to disengage, though. Yeah. And she is going to hit on that one. This ghost looks fucked up. By the time it gets to you, Arabe gets one swipe in on it as it goes by. But it is still up and kicking. Uh-huh. I rolled a crit. Fuck. Well, first of all, I need you to roll a constitution saving throw for me. Natural one. You take 21 necrotic damage. Holy shit, are you kidding? Mm -mm. <sighs> and also your max HP is reduced by that until you take another long rest. Are you? Oh my fucking god. And I have to roll concentration, right? Yeah. So that's gonna be DC okay. 11 con save. Eight. So your warding winds comes down. It's my turn next? Yes. Okay. So this ghost swipes at me, does all that fucking damage. I have 11 hit points for the record. And Fia's gonna flinch and bring her arms up to try to protect her face and, like, go down as the warding winds falls away. And then one hand down on the ground in a smack and cast Shatter. It is a con save for every creature in a 10-foot radius. And, hey, you said the skeletons are made of stone, right? Yes. They have disadvantage. Okay. So that's a four. That one doesn't pass for sure. Nope. And a seven. That one also does not pass for sure. Let me roll for the ghost. It's an eight. None of them pass. So as feet goes down and smacks the ground, there is a painfully intense, loud ringing noise from where her hand impacts the stone. And all three of them are going to take 3d8 thunder damage. Okay, go ahead and roll that for me, please. Yeah. 20 thunder damage. Fee, you single-handedly end this combat. Yes! The ghost evaporates with a scream, just completely yeah. disappears. The second skeleton that had already taken damage that ran up on you completely falls apart. The third one is just blasted away from you before it can even raise its sword. It's gone. You just blast all three of these things out of the air with a spell, again, that you didn't know you could cast. From the porch of this big building under the pillars, Arave turns around and looks at you and goes, Okay, I can see how you are quite useful in a crisis. 
Fee is on the ground, just swearing so, so loudly. <laughs> there is an old saying that the Silent Cities don't easily give up their dead. Uh, this particular site is where that comes from. The undead here do get a little uh, restless around the full moon. I probably should have mentioned that. Fantastic! Perhaps we should retire back to my lodgings for the evening. And then you hear the metallic hum of the sword and it's scabbard again, and Arabe reaches down and pulls it out, and it is humming the same way it hummed when the ghosts and the skeletons came at you. She looks down the alley behind her and looks back at you. Motherfucker! You guys both just curse in unison, and Arame yeah. sheathes her sword again. I think you both turn in time to look down this alley, and there is just a legion of these stone skeletons scrambling towards you. They're crawling over each other in their speed. They are moving well past human levels of speed, and there are a couple ghosts dotted back through there, like what you just fought. And Arabe looks at you, and looks at the teleportation circle in the center of the square, and looks at where these skeletons are clambering down the alley. You can hear them coming down all the alleys surrounding the square. Ugh. And Arabe says, Yeah, okay, um... Run? Yes, running. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, you guys run for the center of the square. Arabe brings two fingers up to her mouth and does the very sharp whistle with her fingers in her mouth, and you hear Phineas galloping into the square, like, over these skeletons and stuff, and she slams the big egg-sized gem around her neck down into the slot on the ground of this portal. Phineas takes a running leap in. Apparently he's very used to this. Arabe takes a jump in, and she's hanging off the side like a person hanging off the side of a swimming pool. And she says, Look, I get it if you don't trust me. Um, we're going to safety, so if you would like to also be safe, go ahead and hop in, bring the necklace with you when you come. And then she disappears under the shimmering blue magical surface. She is staying at the edge of this portal, and I think the wind of the portal is kind of blowing at her. And she, like, brushes her hair back off of her forehead and looks at the approaching skeletons. There's so many. They're coming off of every entry to this alley. Yeah. Hundreds. Every skeleton you saw in a pile next to these mass graves, they have all apparently reanimated and are coming after you. There's no way. He says, shit, 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 and I'm gonna burn my second, third level spell slot just shoot off a lightning bolt, and then I'm going to jump the portal. I think the force of this lightning bolt propels you back into the portal. Do you grab the necklace as you go? Yes. And you fall back into the surface of this ancient, rippling magic. The last time you teleported, it was a very rough journey. It fucked with your stomach, you were nauseous, it felt like dying, pretty much. This feels like nothing. It feels like falling back into perfectly body temperature water. There's no sensation of falling, there's no sensation of sickness, it is simply a sensation of passage into something else. And for a moment, it is just perfect equilibrium and silence. Total sensory deprivation. You see nothing, hear nothing, taste nothing, feel nothing, smell nothing. And then a storm greater than anything you have ever experienced is surrounding you. And you regain consciousness and sensation on the surface of an ocean in the middle of a, a hurricane, just an indescribable thunderstorm. You can feel the ocean roiling and waving underneath you, 
but you are somehow suspended on the surface. And in the distance, if you look up, when you regain your sense of sight, it's the dark of the night, the moon and the stars overhead. In the distance, you can see the rhythmic, rotating flash of a lighthouse. You're on your hands and knees. What do you do? I try to stand. You can, easily. And I'm going to look at the lighthouse. Roll advantage at investigation. Come on. It's an 18. In the light of the apocalyptic strike of lightning that comes down into this ocean that you're standing on, it's the lighthouse from your beacon coin. The lighthouse that is inscribed on that coin is the lighthouse that just got struck by lightning. Right now, you're looking at it from across this storm-tossed ocean. It is a ways off, a mile at least, and you're out in open water. There's nothing around you. I know I'm suspended above the water. I'm going to see if I can deliberately reach my hand into the water. Yes, you can. It is freezing. Okay. Arave is nowhere to be seen. No Arave, no Phineas. You still have the pendant clutched in your left hand, however. I'm going to look at the storm and take it in and take in the light and hit the lighthouse. And I'm going to look directly at the lighthouse. I'm going to spread my arms wide, standing on this ocean. And I'm going to say, answers, right? And I'm going to dive into the ocean. Roll a constitution saving throw. Okay. 17. You dive into the water, and it's a very strange sensation. It is like diving into water and coming up from being underwater at the same time. It's like you dive into air. You feel the water passing over your face, and then you are coughing and sputtering, clawing at the wet sand of a beach. I'm going to look around, see what I see. You're at the foot of this lighthouse. And as you're curled, soaking wet, and coughing on this beach at the foot of this lighthouse, I want you to roll me a religion check. That is a 23. A 23? Yep. Okay. Wow. You look up and you watch the beam of light going around and around, and you take in two very crucial things. Number one, the fact that the design of this building is the design of the lighthouse on your beacon point. And number two, that you have seen the silhouette of this tower somewhere before, and it gets you right in your gut, right in the core of you, when the realization drops. This is the outline of the Tower of Lux Togalan. Okay. But the Tower of Lux Togalan isn't a lighthouse, so this is ridiculous, obviously, that there's this beam of light. You grew up in Ilneus. You grew up within view of the island. If there was a lighthouse there, you would know. Yeah, yeah, I would. The storm is still continuing, just rain pouring down in sheets. You're sputtering on the beach in front of this lighthouse, and the light is revolving above your head, and the storm is raging on around you. And you can hear thunder, obviously, you know, from the storm. But you also feel that thunder in the middle of your chest, in the depths of your gut. It's in your whole body. And from behind you, a very calm, placid, alto voice says, Hello, Ferrari. I'm going to very slowly stand up, and then I'm going to turn to look behind me. Sat down on a big piece of bleached, dead driftwood that has washed up on the beach is a figure. You can't tell much else about this figure, however, because it is fully wrapped in this beautiful cloak. The hood of this cloak fully covers this figure's face. 
Its hands are hidden up inside the sleeves. You can't see feet because the cloak is pulling around on the wet sand. And the cloak of this figure is a shifting mural of color. It's the color palette of storm clouds. Deep black and purple and blue bruise-like colors of storm clouds illuminated by lightning, shifting constantly, and it flashes whenever the lightning comes down and strikes the sea. You see light ripple out across this cloak. And the figure is not moving, and it is just sitting on this piece of driftwood waiting for you. Go ahead and roll me advantage religion. 18. It's the statue. That statue that you brushed up against, the one that called you, the one that said your name. This figure is the same as the statue, and this voice is the same as the one inside your head. She's going to reach up a hand, tuck her hair behind her ear, and just brush over her horns. You have me at a disadvantage. And how am I different from anybody else in your life? Am I not worth a conversation? Am I not worth a name? If you can't tell me who I am, then you're not ready to know. The figure says, and then pats the log of the driftwood next to them. The uh, inclines her head and says, no different than anything else from my life then, and goes to sit on the bench. You cannot see a face. Within the depths of this hood, you can see kind of the outline of two eyes, bright electric crackling blue silver, and then you see a smile like lightning. A crackling electric smile in the darkness of this hood. And this figure says, I would love to know. What do you think I am? Statue. That's a depiction of me? Yes. Fee's going to look out across the ocean with the storm crackling overhead and look at the lighthouse and say, I think you're what I've been looking for. I think you're correct in that. I've always been here. And here is... where? The essence of you. The purpose of you. The figure leans in, and again you see that crackling electric smile and the two bright crackling eyes. You're not Campos, love. You're one of mine. Okay. Alright. I sense hesitance in you. It's not in my nature to take being claimed at face value. The figure leans back and nods. The eyes and the smile disappear and you're just looking at the shadow of the hood again. The figure reaches down and grabs your hand. And you feel a very cold grip close around your hand, but you look down and you see bright, almost pearlescent, something glowing and pale around the skin of the hand that was closed around yours. The figure says, All I'm asking for right now is a little bit of faith. In exchange for this, for now, I will give you a gift. Can we call this a contract? Fee grabs the hand back and says, I believe we can. I'm very pleased. This figure leans in and you can't see within the hood again. All you see is the glowing eyes and the crackling lightning strike of a smile. But you feel cold lips press against your forehead. And you have this sensation again of breaking through water. 
and you are so cold when you come up. There is a blizzard raging around you. None of the thunder, none of the crackling of the lightning, none of anything about the scene where you just were. And immediately, as soon as you break through this magical surface, you're able to tell that you're coming up through the portal that you were supposed to go through. Just a manifestation of primal nature and cold and snow and blizzard is whipping around you as you come up out of the portal. You see Arabe and Phineas sitting at the edge of the stone circle, watching for you. I'm going to reorient myself and yell over the wind. Where are we going now? I, 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 she says. Arabe looks freaked out. This isn't a, this isn't, she's whipping her head around, looking all around this area. Would you like to make me an investigation check? Yeah. That's an 11. You're in ruins, for sure. Also, you're on a mountaintop, somewhere. You, You don't know where. Do I see buildings anywhere that is not in the middle of this blizzard? Around you are gutted, frozen skeletons of buildings. But the one that looks the safest is something pretty similar to this library building that you just fled. Okay, I'm gonna point at the big building and yell, Arabe, we have to get out of the storm. Arabe gets Phineas by his halter and pulls him along, and you guys run up into this building. You can't see a lot in the square for all the snow. A lot of everything is buried. It looks like this building was once a keep, but that the doors got blasted in, and something stormed into this building. As you move in, you see bodies. Not skeletons. Mummies. Ice mummies. Whatever happened to these people seems to be much more violent than what you saw in the Silent City. You see these ice mummies of people that have spears through them, swords through them. They have clearly died violent deaths. Arabe seems totally unaffected. Just wandering back, you see she pulls a notebook out of her bag and starts scribbling down notes. It seems like the main drag of whatever building this used to be was a chapel, because there are two statues. There's the same skeletal, spiral-horned statue that you saw in the temple before, and the same hooded statue that you saw in the temple that used to be standing here. The hooded statue has been pulled down and knocked asunder across the floor. I'm going to walk closer to the statue. There are mummified bodies all around that seem to have been stabbed, speared, died violently. And at the foot of this crumpled statue that has been pulled down is the mummified body of a somewhat elven-looking woman. She has small bumps on her forehead. They're not horns, but they might have been at one point. And she has in her hand a sword and a shield. And around her shoulders, completely ignoring the thin coating of frost and snow that everything else in this great hall has upon it, is a cloak. Around the shoulders of the cloak, it's metal. It looks like mithril, platinum, something light and silvery, scaling up down around the shoulders. And from then on, it is a strange, satiny fabric you've never seen before. The color of this fabric is shifting, like the colors in a storm cloud right before lightning strikes. Purples and blues and blacks and light greens. So the way that you describe this cloak makes it sound like it looks like the cloak of the figure I was talking to. Yeah, it does, for sure. Okay. I'm gonna crouch down next to this figure. 
I'm going to perform the only death rites I know how, which are those of the church funeral. And I'm gonna reach out and I'm gonna take the cloak. Um, go ahead and roll a constitution saving throw for me. 19. Nothing happens to you, damage-wise. As you perform these death rites, you feel something in your gut, Fee. It's deeply unpleasant. It's a feeling of simultaneous love and betrayal that you have only experienced one other time in your life. You were able to lift the cloak from around the shoulders of this dead mummified body. I'm going to take the cloak and put it in my bag. Off to the side of you, Hervé looks freaked the hell out. This isn't one of the sights. I don't... Are we in Australia? What? Hold on. And she looks around. I'm gonna roll a history check for her. That would be good. <laughs> um, she rolled a natural 19. Nice. And she gets a plus 6 to history, so that's a 25. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, she says, wait, are we... There aren't any sights in the north. Hold on. And she turns around, and as she turns, I think you follow her line of sight, Fee. Yeah. And you can see the glowing lights of the Towers of the North, which you have been to, not extensively, yeah. but have seen. Yeah. Okay. Across the mountains. It would appear, Miss Enmar, that your knowledge is incomplete. It would appear that way. I need to do some work and make sure that I can get back here. And you see her working around the outside of this circle. Like, she runs out of the building and starts crouching down around the edge of the circle and making rubbings of the runes yeah. that are in the ground. And then she slots her necklace back down into a groove in the ground and the portal activates again. And she says, we're going to freeze to death if we stay here tonight. I want to come back here, but maybe in the summer and maybe with more reinforcements. Fee has one hand in her bag on the cloak, and as Hervé says that, she pulls it out and again tucks her hair behind her ear and then follows Hervé out of the building. I'd like you to roll a d4. Okie dokie. Four. Okay, yeah, she slots her necklace back into this groove in the ground, the portal appears again, and I think I'll let you guys just dive into it, unless you're hanging back? No, I'll dive in. Okay. Yeah, Arabe locks her hand around the necklace as she jumps in and pulls it after you guys. And you reappear in a much more temperate climate. Many, many miles off, but perceptible. You see the lights of Valental. You see the wall. You see the lights of the palace. And you emerge up out of this portal. And Arabe kind of shakes her shoulders off and Phineas steps through. And she says... All right, well, in terms of places that will be the safest for us to stay, this is certainly the place we were looking for. Welcome to Old Valentall, Grand Duchess. Okay. I'm gonna look around. Roll investigation. The 12. You're looking around this square where you guys just came up out of the portal, and you see a building that looks much like the library at the Omagroth site. You see a couple other houses, other things like that. That building seems to stick out to you the most. I'm gonna go in. Since you went in, go ahead and roll me advantaged investigation. So, plus two oh, with advantage. Boy. Five. A lot of books. They seem magically preserved. No bodies at all. It seems to be a perfectly empty city, and Aravay nods as you walk into this building and says, I've been spending a lot of time in this site the last couple of years. There are a lot of scrolls that I need to go through before I can figure out exactly what happened here. All I know is that about 10,000 years ago, the site was abandoned. There are a couple old graveyards, a couple recognizable churches of Kimmerl at this site, actually. But, uh, the city died, and 
I don't know why, and neither does anybody else. A bad omen, I think. Perhaps. Do you have any input on where we just were? Seemed like there were a lot of people that died. Very bloodily. Well, at any rate, we can't head back towards Omagroth before sunrise, because the skeleton and ghost situation is a pretty constant thing there. What do you say we just post up here for the night? That sounds like our best option, yes. Fine with me. And Arabe goes about setting up camp. In the shadow of this library, bookshelves all around you, she builds a fire. Phineas comes into the library and curls up with you guys, and I think you guys take a long rest. I mean, do you want to do that? You guys can take shifts. After she goes into her trance, I want to get up, and I want to look for the nearest recognizable church. You find another square with another recognizable temple, and you walk in. It's a recognizable Church of Kimrel. No statues, only symbols, skulls hanging from the ceiling, a rectory, a library, everything you know to exist in a cathedral of Kimrel is in this city. There's no other statue. There's no statue at all. I'm going to sit down at the front of the church where the cleric would usually be during like a service. And I'm going to take the cloak out of my bag and just lay it across my lap. And I'm going to sit there until set up. Religion check. 24. I think you pass out a little bit before dawn, just waiting with this cloak in your hands. You pass into a trance. And you dream of the rolling waters, and the crashing waves, and the thunderstorm, and the lighthouse again. And you're back on this driftwood bench with this cloaked figure. And this figure turns to you and says, So tell me, Ferora, what did you learn? You have understood something deeper about this than anybody else that you have ever known has understood about it. What do you think you have gotten from all of this? I, I, I want to hear what Fee thinks. That's what's important to this entity right now, is what Fee thinks. I think if the newest city is the one of the Churches of Kimrel, and in the keep that still had one statue up, it was not this figure. There were signs of violence around it, and there was the person with what I can only assume to be the gift that she has left for me at the foot of that statue. I think she's relating it back to the beacon, like the schism, like there were people that believed that whatever church predated Church of Kimberl as she knows it believed it should go one way, and there were people that believed it should go another, and that one side clearly won. How does she relate that to this figure that's sitting with her? I think she thinks about Sabine and thinks about someone who is trying to bring the truth to people and is getting pushed back from insurmountable forces. This figure brings its hands up to your face again, and you see this pearlescent skin, this like gently glowing skin, press against your face. In the cloaked figure, you see the crackling eyes and the crackling smile again, says You are so close Ferrara Keep pushing The grip on your face tightens and the pressure of the hands on either side of your cheeks increases and the figure says Next step is possible, Dory. Do you trust me? Yes. The figure dissolves into modes of light that fly up into a storm cloud, 
and strike this lighthouse in a bright bolt of lightning. And do you wake up the next morning? Aravace passed out. I'm gonna wake her up. She comes up with a knife. It's not pleasant. Uh, technically, that counts as treason. Let's go. Back to Ambergoth. Uh, the sun's up. No more skeletons. What do we do after that? I go back to my friends who are waiting for me. And then I go to Valentall. And then Valkuldor. Why Valkuldor? She asks. It's where the other portal site is, isn't it? Call it a leap of faith. I'll call it something else, but if you're headed that way, I would ask that you take me with you. And in regards to your little, uh, party favor from the mountaintop, Aramay looks at your bag. I'm not sure how to explain it. What if I were to tell you that I have access to people who could possibly explain it for you. I would appreciate the opportunity for a little more truth. The goddess of the Obergroth site. There are people in Australia who worship her still, Arame says. Her lips are very tight. She looks extremely uncomfortable. They don't have anything to do with the beacon, and they prefer to keep it that way. But in the woods outside of Ilneus, there are certain collectives who maintain a connection to whatever that statue represents. I can show you where they are in exchange for being included in any further portal research that the Beacon does. Absolutely. And then Fee puts a hand out and has the other one in her bag. And she says, Miss Edmar. You have a deal. Arabe grabs your hand and grips it super hard. And then... <laughs> she plugs her pendant back into a groove in the ground, and the teleportation circle opens up again, and you guys dive back through, and you're back in the Omegroth site. No skeletons around that are active. No movement within the silent city at all. She walks you to the gate of the city, and out in the woods you hear, Who? It's Fed's voice. He sounds fucking panicked. I'm going to brush myself off a little bit, and then say, Well, Senmar, this has been lovely. Should I, uh, disappear? She says. I would appreciate that. Used to it enough. Come on, Phineas, she says. She snaps yeah. over her shoulder, and Phineas follows yeah. her off into the alleys. And you're standing at the gate, I think, of the Silent City when Fen and Kalesa find you. Fen has a bandana wrapped around the lower half of his face. Kalesa has on a helmet that you've never seen her in before. Okay. <laughs> they both have PPE on, essentially. And they find you at the gate of the Silent City, and... Fen looks mortified. He runs up to you, he doesn't touch you, but he runs up to you and says, I'm so sorry. He plasters on a big smile. Says, uh, don't worry about it. I got turned around in the woods and I didn't want to run into anything that might want to take a bite out of me. Are you... You're okay? You feel okay? Were you... I'm fine. Kalesa's eyes narrow. I'm gonna need you to roll deception for her. <laughs> That's a 15. Kalesa got an 18. Fen didn't make it, but Kalesa's eyes narrow. She looks at you super hard, but she nods and kind of puts her hands up and takes a step back. Fen throws an arm around your shoulder and Actually, I think takes his cloak off and wraps around you as well as you guys walk back towards the hunting lodge. Yeah, you know where to find Arabe. Somewhere, <laughs> at least now. Yeah, I do. You guys walk off back towards your carriages back to Bellatol. That's where we end for the session. Whoa! <laughs>
So where's Fee at right now? I'm enchanted. Uh, overwhelmed. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so you guys thought that the plot was thickening before. <laughs> so just hold on. For the plot to thicken even more in a couple more weeks. <laughs> on. Hotel Jewel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the Postscript, just catching everybody up on some housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As per usual, I am going to go ahead and plug our social medias. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok, at Duel. We are also on TikTok, at Duel Audios. In addition, we also have a lot of really cool stuff like an official Spotify account. All of that is linked on our various social media profiles. If you are interested in supporting the podcast, we ask that you consider pledging to our Patreon. We are on patreon.com slash compelled duel. We have lots of cool perks that you can get starting at just $2 a month for that. Also, if you're interested in ways to support the podcast other than joining the Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate if you could drop us a rating and a review that helps us grow our listener base and get promoted to a wider audience. And also, as always, if you're enjoying Compelled Duel, we ask that you just tell three friends about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell three friends. Word of mouth advertising is our most viable way of getting promoted at this point. Our next episode is going to be coming out on Friday, March 5th, 2021. Or if you are a member of our Patreon, you'll have early access on Thursday, March 4th. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next week.